0: Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson finishes his series titled The Daniel Plan, with part three, Favor His Favor. The final principle we see in the Daniel story is to favor God's favor. Two indicators reveal Daniel's desire for God's favor and gives a great example for us to follow. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. This morning, we are concluding our uh, little mini-series entitled The Daniel Plan from the book of Daniel. Um, we've been using the story of Daniel and the person of Daniel as an example because he incorporated some principles into his life that helped him experience success and victory. It helped him uh, fulfill God's purpose and plan in his life to his fullest potential. It enabled him to to represent God and impact people and impact the kingdom. So likewise, these are principles that we need to incorporate into our life as well so that we can be used by our fullest potential of God and we can impact the kingdom. And God can use us to impact people's lives. Our, our theme verse for the series has been Daniel eight, which is Daniel Resolved, Not to defile himself. In other words, Daniel made this unwavering commitment not to do anything to damage his relationship with God. And that includes not to do anything to damage his witness, to damage his testimony, to damage the opportunity for him to impact uh, other people. And these principles that we're looking at cemented his resolve. And the principles are: principle number one, as a review, is to Think about what you think about. Principle two is to decide before deciding. In other words, make the decision before you have actually have to make the decision. Principle three is preparation is for preparation. So we prepare now, so we're prepared then. And our, fifth and, uh, our fourth and final principle this morning is favor God's favor. We should favor God's favor. Let's look in Daniel chapter one. I want to review or actually kind of go through a few more verses that we looked at earlier, but come from a little different perspective. We're going to pick it up in verse five. But the context, remember, is that King Nebuchadnezzar has defeated Jehoiakim, king of Judah. They've besieged Jerusalem. He's taken some spoils there from uh, back to Babylon, but along with that, he brought some exiles and he picked out the best of the best of the Israelite men and brought them into Babylonia with him and was going to place them in service in his palace. So that's where we pick it up in chapter one, verse five. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be, they were to be trained for three years and after that, they were to enter the king's service. In verse six, we see that Among those are Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse eight, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. The key verse this morning to tie in with favor God's favor, which may be the principle that is overarching everything else. This may be the meat of everything we've talked about. The passage here is verse nine that gives us the insight. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. We see Daniel receiving favor from two sources. And the first is the favor of the chief official. Look what verse nine says. God caused the official to show favor to Daniel. Daniel. Now, verses 8 and 9 connect together. The chief official didn't begin showing favor to Daniel right when Daniel asked the request not to have the food and wine of the king. Somewhere before that, the official began to favor Daniel. We don't know how or why or when, but at some point before that, he was experiencing favor From the chief official, so that when he asked this question, this is really the first time we see this favor is manifest, when he asked this question about the food and the wine. Now, you have to think about this request a little bit. In essence, this request of Daniel not to take the food and wine could have been seen as an insult and an offense to the king, because the king is offering his best food (laughs) (laughs) The best of the best. And now Daniel's saying, no, this stuff is polluted. This stuff is defiled. This stuff is unedible. I'm not going to partake of it. At the same time, it could have been seen as an offense to the king of Babylon. Because most likely some of that food, especially the meat, might have been sacrificed or offered to the Babylonian king. We see that practice in 1 Corinthians. So part of the reason Daniel did not want to defile himself was for physical reasons. He didn't want to put the wrong kind of food in his body. But the second dynamic is a spiritual reason. He didn't want to eat this food that had been dedicated to a a foreign god. But in both cases, it could have been seen as an offense to the king. The chief could have gone back to the king and said, hey, there's this guy named Daniel who won't eat your food. He's insulting you. Your food's not good enough for him and now he's causing problems and the king most likely would have had him executed on the spot. So it was vitally important that Daniel received the favor of the chief official. Without the favor of the chief official, Daniel's story might have gone an entirely different direction. So the question is, why did Daniel have favor from the chief official? Well, I think there's two reasons. And the first reason is because of Daniel's character. We see Daniel's character rising to the top as we go through the story. First was his graciousness. Daniel was gracious. If you look there in chapter 1, verse 8, it says that Daniel asked the chief official for permission. You can sense the graciousness in the request. He doesn't demand anything. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't go on a hunger strike. He doesn't get all of his people gathered up and going to make this coup. He doesn't do any of that. He's very gracious in asking if he could do this. Later in verse 11, we see that he asks the guard the same thing, the guard that's guarding him. Could we have permission to do this? All through his story, we see how gracious he is toward people. When he's about to be promoted because he interprets the dream of the king, He asked that his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be promoted as well. He didn't have to do that. When we see that Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of his advisors and enchanters and magicians because they couldn't tell the king what his dream was, they couldn't interpret the dream, so he's going to have them all executed, and Daniel rises up and says, no, I will interpret the dream, so official, please don't execute any of these guys. He didn't have to do that. He could have said, I'm the one interpreting it, go ahead and kill all them, but he He had graciousness toward these people. Even the story of the lion's den, the accusers that sent him to the lion's den, you never see in Scripture where he says a bad word about them. He never retaliates against them. He was very gracious toward people. The chief official saw that. Daniel was honest. He had great integrity. In chapter 6, verse 4, it says, there was no corruption found in him because he was trustworthy. Verse goes on and says that he's neither corrupt nor negligent. He had a great work ethic. To be trustworthy with no corruption, he's not negligent. What that means is he could be trusted not to steal from the king. He didn't have to worry about what he's taken, but he's also not negligent. He pursued excellence. He could be assured that Daniel was going to do the very best job that he could. He had a great work ethic. In chapter 1, verse 18, it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring him in, the chief official presented him to the king. This gives us a timeline. We know that they were given 3 years to prepare to get into the king's service. So chapter 1 of Daniel really is the time slot of 3 years. 3 years pass here in chapter 1. So at the end of 3 years, verse 20, it says they pre- present them to the king. Verse 20 says in every matter of wisdom and understanding, he found them 10 times better than all the others. So at the end of three years, he's pursuing excellence. He's so diligent that he rises to the top. Now, this didn't didn't happen by accident. For three years, Daniel could have loafed. (laughs) He could have given a half-hearted effort. He could have just hung out with his friends. He could have just tried to maintain the status quo. But he didn't do all that. He pursued excellence. This is a great reminder for us. As we take Daniel's example, whatever you do, do with excellence. Whatever you do, you do it to the very best. Of your ability. And that's what excellence really means. I'm going to do the very best that I can do. I'm going to pursue excellence. Try to be the best parent you can be. Try to be the best employee you can be. Try to be the best employer you can be. Try to be the best student you can be. Everything that you do, do it to the very best of your ability. Colossians 3:23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? As working for the Lord not for men so reason one for Daniel receiving the favor of the official was his character this reminds us how you conduct yourself matters how you treat people it matters your character counts it impacts your witness your testimony your impact that you can have, and the way God wants to use you. So that's one reason he received the favor of the official. Here's the second reason, not just because of Daniel's character, but because of Daniel's God. Now this ties into what I said at the very beginning, and that is that Daniel received the favor from two sources. The first source was the chief official, but the second source is God. He received the favor of God. Look at chapter 1, verse 9 again. It said, now God had caused the chief official to have favor. God extended favor to Daniel. One expression of that favor was that he allowed or enabled the official to show favor to Daniel. But it's coming from God. Now to help us really understand this concept of favor, we need to define it a little bit. So I want to illustrate it for you, give you a word picture. But before I do it, I just want you to know this is probably the lamest illustration I've ever done. (laughs) I was trying to figure out how how can I give a good word picture so we can kind of imprint and implant this this concept into our head. And I I discovered it's kind of like trying to, to illustrate the Trinity. I have several illustrations that I can use with the Trinity but they're all lame, they all fall way short of the concept, they don't don't do justice to the depth of that concept. The same is true about this word favor, all right? But maybe we can at least head you in the right direction as to what this word looks like. Favor, I'm I'm gonna use the concept of party favors, okay? Now we know what party favors are. They are really a thank you from the party host Given to the guest to say thank you for coming to the party. That's what a party favor is. Well, I did a little research and and started looking for the the most popular or the best party favors for kid parties. These aren't for adult parties, all right? But for kid parties, what were the, the favorite and the best party favors? Now, several of them I saw were the ones that we would all think, yeah, I mean, those are great, those are cool. But I ran across a few that I didn't think were probably if you're the parent of these kids that got these favors, you probably wouldn't think they're, they're so great. Here's one of them. It's just called gross. And here's what it is. That's all it is. Now, as a parent, wouldn't you love to have that, your kid bring it home? Here's one. I actually thought this was gonna be a good one. It was a harmonica until I started to play it. Could you imagine all day having to hear that? Here's one that I guarantee if you're a parent and you come home with this, you're gonna hate whoever the host was. It's the Clapper. Any of your kids ever get this for a party favor? Can you imagine having to hear this all day after the party? Here's my favorite party favor though. I can understand why kids would love this because I love this. It's called a slap hand. Watch what it does. Do you see it? You didn't think that was as cool as I did. I could play with this all day. Could you imagine just throwing it over somebody? These are all party favors. Now remember, a party favor is a thank you from the party host to the guest just to say thank you. Now party favors, the party, everything that we're talking about in this context is all based on relationship. It's a result of relationship. The party host... The reason they invited the guest to the party is because of the relationship that they, the host has with these guests. That's why they were invited to the party, because there's a relationship. The reason the guest responded to the invitation and came to the party is because of the relationship. The party favors are tangible expressions of the relationship, okay? The party favors are the tangible expressions of the depth of the relationship and the quality of the relationship. So that brings us here to verse nine. I'm gonna be stepping on this stuff all the rest of the sermon. This brings us to verse nine, when he talks about having favor. This word favor, the Hebrew word is chesed. And that word chesed is based on relationship. Very often on a covenant relationship. It means unfailing love, devotion, kindness, mercy, devotion, loyalty. It's much more than a feeling. It's an action. It represents how someone treats someone else. So this word often in scripture is used about God and his relationship with us. This covenant relationship that we have together. And a lot of times translated in English in our scripture that word would be translated mercy or loving kindness. But what God does for us and what he gives to us and how he treats us are all tangible expressions of that relationship. It's his kindness, his mercy, his devotion, his grace, his faithfulness, his loyalty, these are all tangible expressions of the relationship that he has with us. Now, this word can also be used between individuals, humans, like it was with Daniel and the chief official. You treat one another with kindness. But here in verse nine, it's telling us that God is the author of this favor being shown to Daniel. Now, Daniel's character did play a role in it, all right? But God is the author of the favor that's being shown. But here when you connect verses eight and nine, you see something that is inferred because Daniel resolved not to defile himself and he was shown favor. What you see connected here, if you connect the dots, Daniel received the favor of God but it's because he longed for the favor of God. He desired the favor Of God, he favored God's favor. Daniel received the favor of the chief official, but he longed for the favor of God. Had he longed for the favor of the official, he never would have received the favor of God. He had to favor God's favor, and it's it's interconnected together. So favoring God's favor means that I prefer God's approval over anyone else's and everyone else's approval. So Daniel favored God's favor, this fourth principle that we're looking at. And we see this by Daniel's heart. There are two things evidenced in Daniel's heart, two things that we see in Scripture with Daniel that tells us and indicates for us that he favored God's favor. And the first is Daniel's resolve. That's what Daniel's resolve was built around. Why did he resolve not to defile himself? Because he favored God's favor. There's something here that we see in verse seven, chapter one, verse seven. It's very subtle. It's something you could pass over and not even think about. But it has a powerful indicator for us that affected him and has great application for us. Chapter 1, verse 7, we see it says the chief official, but I'm sure that was by order of the king. I'm sure the king told him to do that. It's just the official actually doing it. The chief official changed Daniel's name, changed his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. But if you look in chapter 4, verse 8, we see that Daniel was named after the God of Babylon, The king named Daniel after his pagan demon god. He was named after the Babylonian god. So this is what it tells us. For the king, his goal was to make Daniel Babylonian. The king's goal for Daniel was to strip away his Jewish heritage, to strip away and replace all of his Jewish heritage with the Babylonian worldview. His goal was to immerse him in the food and the wine of the Babylonians, the culture of the Babylonians, the education and the mindset of the Babylonians. The king's goal was to immerse Daniel in the lifestyle of the Babylonians and in the worship and the religious practices of the Babylonians. The goal of the king was to make Daniel a Babylonian. And Daniel refused to let that happen. He resolved not to defile himself. Now, you have to understand that in the book of Daniel, you're actually reading Daniel's writing. Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. Now, obviously, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's authored by God, and God's having him write this, but Daniel's the one writing it. So when he refers to himself in the book, he refers to himself as Daniel. Several times, he'll even say, I, Daniel. Now, he mentions a few times that others called him or referred to him as Belteshazzar, but Daniel never refers to himself as Belteshazzar. He always refers to himself as Daniel, which tells us he might have been in Babylon, but Babylon was not in him. He resolved not to defile himself. He remained true to his God in the midst of an ungodly culture. It's got great application for us. Don't let anyone define you except the one who created you. And don't let anyone change you except the one that saved you. Don't let anyone try to tell you who you are or who you should be other than the one that created you and is speaking life into you. And don't let anyone change you and change who you are except the one person that gave his life for you so that he could change you, but to change you into the image of himself. Don't let the enemy define you. Don't let the world change you. The enemy and the world want you to live like Belteshazzar. The enemy and the world wants you to think all you can be is Belteshazzar. When God is saying, no, you can be Daniel. The world needs Daniels. The world needs those that will go against the tide. People that are so committed to Christ that their light shines like a beacon in the fog. People that are so full of God's spirit that they influence and they impact people as they go through their normal routine, that they're undeterred to follow after God. Chapter 12, verse three says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel was thrust into a dark, ungodly culture but His light shined bright. We live in a dark world, and in this dark world that's getting increasingly darker, God's calling you. God's calling each of us who proclaim the name of Christ to be light and to be hope and to show the world a better way. He's calling us to stand true To who God has called us to be, and how God defines who we are, He's calling us to live as Daniel, not Belteshazzar. He's calling us to favor God's favor, but it's not just His resolve. The reason, second reason, He received favor, and we know that He wanted God's favor, is because of His desire, because of Daniel's desire. When you go through Scripture. You see that Daniel's one greatest desire was to glorify God, was to bring glory to God so that others would see the God that he knows and be able to see what God is really like. And we don't have time this morning to go through and just examine this in depth, but I just want to go through several passages in the Daniel story. You can refer to them later if you'd like to, to show you how much Daniel wanted God to be glorified. In chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he praises God for revealing the king's vision to him in a dream. And then later in verse 28, he exalts God as the revealer of the ministry of the mysteries. He exalts God as the one who has given him this gift to interpret. It's another great application for us that we should always glorify God for the gifts that he has given us. When you're in Christ, he has gifted you with gifts, with abilities and talents, but we give all the glory to him Because without his power and without his gifting, they're they're of no use. It's what Jesus said in John 15. He's the vine, we're the branch, and apart from him, we can do nothing. Daniel understood that. God was the one that gifted him with all the ability. Chapter two, verse 47. after, After Daniel interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he says to Daniel about Daniel's God, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. In Daniel chapter four, After King Nebuchadnezzar suffers some consequences for his pride and his arrogance against God, which included being exiled from his kingdom for a while, losing his kingdom for a while, literally going crazy, finally after he repents, he comes back and he gains his senses and regains his kingdom and he says about the God in verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all of his ways are just. In chapter 6, we see Darius after he had to put Daniel in the lion's den, but then the next morning he sees that Daniel's not been killed by the lions, that his God has rescued him, Satan, he pulls him out. In verse 26 and 27, about the God of Daniel, he says, he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Why did Darius say he rescues and saves? He performs signs and wonders because you have to remember the context. They are serving Babylonian demon gods, pagans. And these gods, they've, they've, they've worshiped them, they've pled to them, and their gods have done nothing for them. Their God has never responded. Because they can't, they're demon gods, they're idols. But now the king of kings, the God who is the true God, when Daniel is in the lion's den, he sees this God actually rescues, he actually saves, he actually does signs and wonders, he actually responds. There are actually tangible expressions of a relationship that's taking place. Everything Daniel did was to glorify God. Daniel had one goal, and preservation was not the goal. He did not resolve to stay alive. If that would have been his goal, he would have prayed to Darius for 30 days. Promotion was not the goal. He did not resolve to get ahead. If that would have been the case, he would have taken credit for everything that he did. He would have had all the other advisors killed, so there's no competition. Prosperity was not the goal. He did not resolve to get rich. If that would have been the goal, when Belshazzar, if you remember his story, he's the one that saw the handwriting on the wall. And so when he hears that Daniel can interpret that writing he offers Daniel all these fancy clothes and all this expensive jewelry, and he promises to promote him, third into command, to give him all this prosperity. And Daniel says in five seventeen, "You can keep your gifts for yourself. Give it to somebody else." If prosperity was the goal, he would have said, "Yeah, give it." Pleasure wasn't the goal. He didn't resolve just to go through life enjoying himself. If he'd have done that, he'd have eaten the food and the wine of the king. He would have practiced the immorality in the religious practice in the religious worship of the pagan gods. He had one goal and it was praise to the Father. It was one goal, it was to glorify God. His one desire was was to glorify God and that other people would see His God. Other people would be able to see who God really is, what God really can do, and to understand the dynamic and understand what it means to have this relationship with His God. It has great application for us, obviously. Our main goal in life. it's not preservation. It's not promotion. It's not prosperity. It's not pleasure. None of those should be our primary goal. Our primary goal is to praise the Father in heaven. To bring him glory forever and ever. It's what 1 Corinthians 10 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. And the heart's desire is that as we bring glory to God in our life, the way we live our life, our determination and our resolve not to defile ourselves, to stay true to who God's called us to be. When we do that, our desire is that people will see who Christ is. They can see the tangible evidence and expression of the relationship. And they're able to glorify God, come to... Relationship with Jesus Christ. That should be the goal of our life. So, to favor God's favor means that you seek to please God above all others. To favor God's favor means you desire your life and your decisions and your resolve to glorify God. To favor God's favor means that you want God to use you to your fullest potential so you can be used of God to make an impact in the kingdom and see other people come into relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So the big question is, whose favor do you favor? The prayer and the hope and the message of Daniel is that we would favor God's favor.